All right, welcome back to Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. Uh, we've been rejoicing in uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, which talks about the epiphany of our Lord, the revelation of Jesus as the King of Israel, as God in the flesh. I, I mentioned before the break, it's interesting to note that Herod, we were talking about Herod. I want to add to that. If you remember, what's Herod's ancestry? His, his ancestor is... Esau. Esau. I, I, I always think that's a huge thing. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, that's okay. And remember, so Jacob and Esau are the fathers of two nations. J- Jacob is the father of e- uh, Israel, and Esau is the father of Edom. And so Herod is of the descent of Esau. He's an Edomite or an Idumean. And the point I'm trying to make is, is that throughout the history of the Old Testament, Israel and Edom are always at odds, generally speaking. Uh, And so what happens here with Herod is this whole history of the Old Testament comes to a climax. The enemies of Israel are all encapsulated in King Herod. And I would even argue that Herod is Antichrist at this point because the Christ child is born. And so when Herod says, now you let me know when you find him so that I too can go and worship him, that's that's the devil working through him and lying. He He is the devil's mouth for the point of trying to destroy the Christ. So he is anti-Christ here. And so this, this battle of two nations all throughout the Old Testament comes to a climax here. The true son of Israel, the true son of Jacob, Jesus, is born. And now we have another son of Esau, and it's Herod. And he's going to try and destroy Israel. Okay, Israel reduced to one Jesus, the Savior of the world. That's what's going on here. Uh, among many other things. Now, you were going to say something else. No, I was, uh, you know, the same point in the sense, too, the irony that uh, you know, Esau should have been the one to receive the promise and the blessing from uh, his father, and instead it was taken by Jacob. He, uh, Esau despised it. He didn't care about it. He sold it for a silly little thing like a bowl of beans, and uh, as a result, he lost all that. And now the irony is is that uh, his descendant is a king, a powerful king, a important king, and uh, uh, he's the one now that's trying to kill Jesus again. It's kind of that same conflict that's been all the way back to Jacob and Esau being fulfilled now in the person of Christ. And one last gasp, if you will, is, you know, when Herod finds out that the wise men have tricked him, uh, then he murders the children, the male children, in and around Bethlehem, the, the is, holy innocents. Isn't that same conflict going on today yes. in our world yes. when, uh, when we have people who have declared Christianity to be the mortal enemy and all the infidels must die, right. and that, that battle will continue until Christ comes again. Yeah, that's right. Let's have some more fun here with uh, Matthew 2, 1 to 12. It's very interesting that the Old Testament text for that day is from Isaiah. And, of course, Isaiah prophesied that the day was coming when the nations would come and worship <laughs> the true God. <laughs> and that's, that's what's happening I, here. Isaiah 60? I believe that's correct, yes. And, and it says that herds of camels <laughs> would come and they would cover the land. People from, uh, if I remember correctly, from Sheba would come and they would bring gold and incense. And uh, Israel wasn't supposed to keep this to herself. And so my point is, is that Isaiah was given to see the day when the Eastern Magi, the wise men, would come to Israel to worship the one born king of the Jews. 
Isaiah predicted the day, what I'm trying to say not very well, so have mercy on me, is that Isaiah predicted the day when those that once worshipped the stars, okay, these Babylonians, uh, would now be led by a star to bow down and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, their Savior. My point is, is that Isaiah was given to see the Gentile Christmas. That's why Epiphany, January 6th, is called the Gentile Christmas. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Eastern Orthodox and Russian Orthodox Christians celebrate Christmas on January 6th. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the point that I think the point here Matthew is making, uh, another point is, is, that, is that Jesus is God, not just for the Hebrews, but he's God for all people, including people that we don't like. <laughs> Are you listening, Ben Sass? <laughs> he's even savior for you. You can repent, Senator Sass. And, and I can't get over this because the, he, has, he has unleashed, as I'm going to say it again, Senator Sass has, has unleashed the Malekians and the genociders who will not only further the abortion industry, but the infanticide industry all the more. Senator, you have time to repent and to work differently because Jesus came for you. And what the tragic thing that you've unleashed on our country by what you've done uh, this past year. Are you listening, Senator? I hope you are. Don't pull a Herod on us, you know, and don't be unrepentant. You know, you better, better listen to the word, okay? So baby Jesus is, is not just God in general, as Kuhlman always likes to say, but he, he's not just God in the abstract. Um, but he's specifically, this baby Jesus is king and God for all people. He's God for the Magi, and he's God for you. And he comes to serve us all by giving his life on the Good Friday cross as a ransom for all of us. Pastor, there are, there are many that would use these epiphany texts, uh, Isaiah 60 and uh, what we've read today in Matthew 2 as a uh, theology of mission, a theology of outreach, a theology of evangelism, and that uh, Christians today, because of uh, these great epiphany texts, have been given an, an obligation, a, a mandate, a moral imperative to do mission work and to reach out to the four corners of the world with the life-giving, life-changing gospel. Is is that a is that a fair way to look at these texts? Is uh, is that something that is derived from these texts, but is not a primary thing that God is teaching us here? How would you how would you respond to that? I think I think one of the big thrusts here in Matthew's gospel is what I just said: is that Jesus is not just the savior of the the Jews, but for all people. And so we learn from this that we want all people to come to faith in Jesus, as the Magi did. And so we are going to proclaim this Jesus as the king and the savior of all people. And if you're talking to someone, you're going to tell them that. You'll say, I believe in this Jesus. Do you? And if they say no, say, would you like to? Let me tell you about him. I, I think that's the key, right? <clears throat> is that um, Christ is revealed to us here and now in the same way that he's revealed to the Magi coming from Babylon through the word and through the sacraments. Um, the difference, of course, is, you know, they were able to go and see him face-to-face um, in Bethlehem and his birth, whereas uh, we hear the word and we come to receive him face-to-face in the Lord's Supper. And so the um, mode is a little different, but the result is the same, and it's all brought to us through the word. Well, it's very interesting, you know, if, if I would have been with the Magi and if I would have followed them, and when, when, they, when they come to the house, 
The text says that they fell down and they worshipped him, namely the baby. I would have probably been scandalized by that. Because, why? Because I'll tell you why. Because the divinity of, of the, the Christ child is hidden deep in his flesh. Human eyes don't see that. That's why you have to listen to the word to reveal that this child is, in fact, God in the flesh. And these match, I believe it. The point I'm trying to make here is when, when we talk about telling others about this, and we, we, we do that as Christians, we do that. We have to teach them that just as the divinity of God was deeply hidden in the flesh of Jesus, in fact, Paul says all the fullness of the deity dwells bodily in this Jesus, so also today Christ hides. Yep. I, I like to talk about it this way. The, the humility, uh, the subversive, I know this is dangerous to talk this way, but the subversive way that God works, not in the way that we'd ever do it. That's what I mean when I say subversive. Humble, subversive, mysterious is all revealed in a baby. And so today, how does God work? Hiddenly, humbly, subversively in bread, wine hooked with the word, water hooked with the word, uh, a pastor who's a sinner who preaches that word. And then you believers in Christ, you through your mouth can tell other people's about Jesus who died for them and for you. Pastor, trust it. Trust it. You've got a call in Murdoch, Nebraska. Pastor Moline and I have a call in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so our primary work, our primary preaching, our primary teaching is in the location where God has placed us and in the relationships and things that, that we have. You've been to Indonesia You've been to Siberia, and you've been to a few other places on mission-type work. Pastor Moline, you've been to Nigeria? Uh, Kenya. Kenya. I've been to Haiti. Um, you know, there, there is something intrinsic in Lutheranism about mission and mission done in a particular way. How, how would you how would you describe that, Pastor? Mission is done in the way the Lord's mandated it. So let's just throw some things out. In Luke twenty four, he says, "Preach repentance and, the, and for the forgiveness of sins." That's mission work. Matthew twenty eight, you make disciples how by baptizing and teaching everything that the Lord has commanded. Mark sixteen, you proclaim the gospel to the entire world. Okay, John twenty. You make sure that people, their sins are forgiven. If they don't want to be forgiven, you tell them, okay, you're not. But the point is, is you want, you, in, in the word, the gospel preached, you're going to reveal to people that Jesus is indeed the Savior. The man who hung on the cross is God. And he died for you. And he took all your sin. And in exchange, he gives you all of his righteousness and perfection. We, I want you to believe that. That's how we do it. Okay? And you do it in your particular vocation. Pastors do this all the time publicly. I hope that's helpful. It is. Um, I think the simplest way, let me give it, look, if I may, I will never forget in Siberia, sitting outside a flat where, you know, where they put me before I would teach. And uh, the story was told to me about Kenneth Corby, who had been there previously in Siberia. And he sat outside the same flat. And the story was told that King Corby, waiting for his ride to go teach in Novosibirsk at the seminary there, was sitting outside waiting for the, the ride, and lo and behold, some babushkas came down and, and sat next to him, these old women. And here's how the evangelism went. <laughs> he, he talked to them, do you believe in Jesus? Are you baptized in the, in the holy name of Jesus? Do you eat and drink his body and blood? 
<laughs> See that? That's and and that's how Christians just naturally talk with people. They ask them these diagnostic questions. So if you're a layman out there and you say, "Well, I don't know what I'd say to people, Pastor," it's not that hard, folks. You just simply ask them. I believe. I believe in Jesus. Would you like to believe in Him too? Every Sunday, I go and eat and drink His body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Would you like to do that too? And in the word, Jesus is epiphanied or revealed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shining forth yeah. into the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Gentiles are coming in all the more. That's, that's the fun thing. More Gentiles coming into the church all the time. Uh, they worship Jesus. Just real quickly about this. The Magi worship Jesus. They didn't worship Mary because Mary's not the Savior. Jesus is. And Jesus is God in the flesh. In this text, you see, we are given to see that this baby truly is Emmanuel, God with us, okay? Now, Clint, they, they, they give him gifts, three gifts. That's why we think there were three magi, because there's three gifts, right? Even though the text doesn't say three magi. What's with the gifts? What is that? What does that mean? <clears throat> People naturally respond with, uh, with their gifts um, to God. It is an outpouring of faith. And yet in these particular gifts, God gives us a picture of the kind of Savior this baby is gold you know we still use the term today gold uh, gift fit for a king uh, frankincense is uh, uh, an, a type of an incense a very expensive fragrant type of incense that is uh, a priestly kind of a thing where incense is burned in the temple and uh, myrrh uh, kind of an odd gift but myrrh is one of the uh, Spices, very, very, very pungent. Uh, one of the spices that is used to anoint a dead body. And so we have king and priest and martyr. Yeah, yeah. Because interesting, in John's, go- John's gospel, I forget, but Nicodemus brings a ton of stuff to only, I mean, yep. the, the sacrifice, if you will. Well, I hope this was helpful, folks. We'll talk to you again.